Welcome to Move the District, where you can find the best ways to stay healthy, stay moving, and stay informed in Washington, D.C. Now, more than ever, we have a wealth of information and opportunities to live the high-performance, pain-free life that we want. My name is Dr. Mike Yasson, and my goal is to show you the backstories behind the individuals and businesses that provide these opportunities for everyone, no matter who you are. Now, let's move. Move the District is sponsored by Big Leap Performance and Rehab. At Big Leap Performance and Rehab, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active during the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better. Head to BigLeapPerformanceAndRehab.com to see how we can help you stay active for life. All right. Welcome back to episode 24 of Move the District. Today, I got a very special episode for you guys. She is a coach at F45 right here in Washington, D.C. She's a former Solid Core coach, and she's a creator of Solid Core United, which is a group of Solid Core employees and independent contractors united to create a safe, equitable, and inclusive workplace. You may have read about her in the Washington Post, the Washingtonian, BuzzFeed, as well as a few other articles. Uh, please welcome to the show, Emily Collinson. Emily, thanks for coming on. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. And that was a, a very dramatic introduction. I think it's very funny and also cool, but uh, comical that I now have links to, you know, what I've been working on in some of those news <laughs> outlets. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool to have like, uh, now you're like Googleable, right? Like people yes. can Google you, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is, is definitely exciting. But um, I mean, I think it was also validating that like these places or these outlets wanted to talk about, you know, some of the stuff that we're probably going to touch on today. So Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's one of the things like if you're you know, working and putting in the effort and the time, you know, and you deserve to be rewarded, right? And and talked about. Thank you. I'm definitely hoping that, you know, as the, the conversations keep happening with you know, people like you have taken interest and other folks hopefully jump on the bandwagon talking about labor in the fitness industry, uh, that there'll be more voices to fill the space besides just mine. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So let's let's dive in here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got started in, you know, your fitness journey, not just, you know, professionally, but, you know, individually. Yeah, definitely. So I, you know, don't have a very athletic background, which is funny because in the industry, you know, you always get people who've been like D1 athletes or, you know, started doing some sort of professional sport when they were quite young. Uh, but I found exercise just through needing that sort of physical outlet and kind of as a maintenance thing. Um, I think also like a lot of other women, uh, I've struggled with you know some body image issues and weird relationships with exercise that weren't always healthy. Um, so when I kind of found places that made me feel really empowered and strong um, and helped me frame my relationship with exercise in a much more, um, you know, mentally healthy and physically healthy light. I really wanted to share that with others and help other people on their journey from like doing exercise as a thing that was maybe even a form of punishment, right? Like some people just, just do it because they feel like they shouldn't have eaten all the things that they ate the other day. And now they're showing up to your class because they hate themselves. I wanted to really, take that notion and flip it on its head so people could grow and reevaluate those relationships in a way that I got to. So that was kind of how I came to solid core originally, which was my first time coaching, being a fitness instructor. And I started in early 2019. So I'm still pretty new to this space. So was solid core that, 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 uh, class that really sparked that, that passion inside of you or, or was there something else before that? Yeah, there were a few different, um, you know, kind of group fitness classes that I'd really enjoyed, but I 
loved the aspect about solid core where my coaches were always telling me to you know focus on the strengths that i was feeling instead of maybe the strength or the physical manifestations of that strength that are often like deeply tied to aesthetics um and so just kind of like working on that internal dialogue while exercising have you ever done a, a solid core class mike I actually have not. And this is something that I, I feel a little like, I feel like I've talked a lot about Salacor, but I've never gone to one of their classes. Well, you have to let me know what you think when you try it. But when I talk about having an internal dialogue, like it is literally just you doing excruciatingly painful things with your body for 50 minutes. And so you really have to Sounds like, fun. yeah, exactly. Right. But you really have to um, develop a way of talking to yourself that is like, kind um, and allows you to keep going back into that space as opposed to, you know, sometimes that mental rut that we get into when we exercise. That's just like a lot of self-doubt um, and a lot of like self-deprecation, which I'm English. So self-deprecating humor is like my go-to. <laughs> but, Irish, so I feel you like on that too. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it has its place in humor, but not always in like that internal monologue while moving your body. Um, so Solicor definitely uh, definitely got me to a really good place in my relationship with exercise. Um, and now I'm an F45 uh, instructor and I really love it there. It's got obviously a very different style, completely different offerings in terms of classes, but a really positive and uplifting environment where, you know, hoping to continue on the same work that I have really enjoyed as a fitness coach. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that sense of accomplishment really is something that honestly just doesn't get, doesn't get really talked about enough. I think like, you know, with both of those classes, Solicor and F45, you know, you talk about that, like feeling of like, you know, getting through a workout and like, yo, I mean, as long as you don't get injured, you're going <laughs> to feel pretty good after, after a workout. Right. And, and I think that's something that like, you know, gives you that confidence to be like, Hey, like I got through this shit. And now I can go attack the rest of my day or now I can end my day or, you know, whatever, you know, whenever you work out, I think that says a lot. Definitely. And, and really like that voice in your head where you're like pep talking yourself through some really difficult physical stuff, that voice that you build up, at least in my experience, kind of carries itself out of the room. And I know that sounds really corny, but um, it's almost like, you know, how people tell you to go uh, give yourself positive affirmations in the mirror. I've never really done that but i can imagine it's kind of similar right it's a lot of just positive affirmations right. and yeah. that mentality seeps into every facet of your life so um it's been a really good experience and of course i mean it's not my full-time job um being a fitness instructor so it's definitely something that while the financial incentive obviously plays a role right nobody just like does work for fun necessarily um but it's definitely something that just like really rounded out my life um, and kind of gave me that extra layer of fulfillment in my day to day to just see clients really pushing themselves, leaving happy, proud of themselves and, you know, feeling good about what their body is capable of doing. What, what made you take that jump from just being a participant to then being a coach? Um, I think I realized that, you know, that relationship with exercise that I had, that there were some kind of kernels of like wisdom that I might be able to impart in somebody else. And I think what I mentioned before about me not having an athletic background, um, you know, Megan, uh, who, you know, your girlfriend, who I went to school with. <laughs> for, can... for reference, for reference, Emily and the, uh, the first lady of big league, my girlfriend, Megan, uh, went to high school together. Just putting that yeah. out there on the airwaves. Yeah, Megan could vouch that I was never very athletic and was always the last person to finish in, or one of the last people to finish in, you know, PE when you run the mile or whatever. <laughs> so I think that's like, I wanted to be the kind of person that people could see themselves in me as the fitness instructor, not just somebody who seems to have this natural born athleticism, like somebody who has, you know, 
not always been very quick or very um, skilled when it comes to movement patterns or knowledgeable when it comes to fitness, but has like worked towards that place. Um, And that it is accessible and achievable for everybody who is given an environment that allows them to develop those skills and feel comfortable doing so because it can be so uncomfortable and vulnerable to just like feel like maybe you're you're doing something that you don't know what you look like do I look embarrassing doing a shoot through uh maybe I fall on my ass because I don't have you know the core strength to do whatever my coaches asked me to do like you have to create a space where people can try and fail and know that like there's something bigger waiting for them around the corner if they just keep at Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty motivating, you know, to, to hear, you know, about someone who struggled in their high school gym class, you know, just to get through the mile run, it then becomes, you know, a, a solid core instructor like that. And I think that's, you know, cause you, you tend to see those people and you, you think, oh man, they're just, you know, specimens, you know, physical specimens, right. They're just athletes and they're yeah. strong and fit and, you know, conditioned and all this stuff. And, and, Really, that's not true. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you know everyone has their own individual journey, and you know to be able to share your own journey, whatever it might be, I think is pretty powerful. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think anybody who you know has has developed a love for exercise and goes through you know whatever required trainings and, and whatnot to really grow their knowledge. Um, I think it's such a cool thing to be able to take that and share it with other people and just like welcome them into a space. And yeah, I think I, I think I just really hoped that I could provide that kind of like safe space for other people. So. Right. Cause, and now SolidCore had its own issue, you know, pre COVID had its own issues with some of those, those things in terms of body image and, and things like that. And, and how did you handle those things when they happened at the time. Yeah. So one thing that I loved about the brand um, and still love about the brand is that when going through training, um, we were told to never reference, for example, getting a summer body or getting bikini body ready or talking about abs and really just like taking the focus off of that aesthetic component. Um, And that was something that, you know, you don't always see that those values lived out in class, but theoretically, that's a really amazing concept. And I wanted to be able to embody that in my own um, classes and my own spaces. So, I mean, there have been a lot of issues and, and I definitely, you know, it would take a long time to rehash all the details of that BuzzFeed article uh, that came out a couple of months ago where you know, people who, uh, I don't necessarily know all of them myself, but people who have been with the company at various stages have, um, have had their issues with body positivity actually, uh, being practiced as opposed to just talked about at solid core, um, and also inclusivity in terms of, uh, race and gender and things like that. But, it's definitely, I mean, it's worth a read, but it's nothing that hopefully can't be worked on and improved upon. That's the right. goal, is that all these things can can be rectified with a lot of work. There you go. And so now you were coaching at Salacor pre-COVID for how long? For a year? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, about a year. And then COVID happens and mm-hmm. gyms all over the world shut down, right? Yeah. And... I know most most gyms had to lay off a lot of their employees. Is that was that the case with uh, SolidCore? Yeah, so SolidCore um, was forced to close. They kept their doors open until, well, at least in DC, uh, it was different because it's a national chain. Right. It's a little different all over the country. So speaking from the DC perspective, is that yeah, in DC it was kept uh, open until the government told them that they had to close. And then about three days later, uh, everyone was laid off, which actually, given that I was classified as an independent contractor, as the majority of solid core coaches are classified, that wasn't a big deal because 
we were paid per class anyway. And if the studio was closed, like it wasn't like we were receiving any other benefits or anything from right. being, um, from working with solid core, which we can go into that later. But um, for those who were employees, right? So a lot of the headquarters folks, um, some of the like training teams and studio managers, that was of course really devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, a great number of those folks were hired back when reopening um, happened and with those like PPP loans. Right. But yeah, it was definitely a, a shock to the system to see everybody be laid off so quickly. It was, it was crazy. I mean, just to see the, the whole fitness industry decimated like that. And, and it just went from, you know, zero to 100 so quickly where, you know, people who had solid jobs, solid businesses, everything was, you know, cooking and going just fine. Then all of a sudden you snap your fingers overnight and, you know, millions of people are <laughs> out of work. Right. And that was certainly crazy. And I think, you know, especially in the fitness industry, you're like, Oh, gyms will, gyms will always be open. Right. And then it was like, Nope. Yeah, it was it was so devastating. Um, and I mean, of course, I mentioned this is you know my side hustle, so to speak. Um, so I felt so lucky to not be financially reliant on this job. Um, but I think COVID has obviously thrown the door wide open for conversations about you know throughout not just the fitness industry, but of course, like so many industries, what happens, like what are the safety nets when, when things, when things like this right down? Um, and I think that's, you know, for me being on the entrepreneurial side of things is I think it's a, a pretty cool thing. I mean, it's, it's a scary thing, right? Uh, but you see like, you know, trainers, coaches, you know, they obviously can't be reliant on, you know, the bigger global gyms, corporate chains, all that stuff that, you know, they had been and it's forcing people to, you know, take matters into their own hands. And you're seeing people starting to offer their own online training, their own classes, things, you know, there's, then there's certain little pop-ups happening all over the place. And, you know, like I said, on the entrepreneurial side, I think that's a very cool thing to see, um, you know, more businesses, more exercise, you know, programs being created by fitness professionals and not, you know, out of corporate greed, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a really cool and obviously innovative outcome from the whole pandemic. And I think that that brings up such an interesting distinction between like different types of fitness instructors that are in the industry. So, I mean, you obviously, I think you could probably speak, you've been in this industry a lot longer than I have, so you can speak to this, but there are people who you know, have their personal training certifications and group fitness certifications and X, Y, and Z, all those other things from NASM or ACE or wherever. And so COVID happens, gyms close, and they can really be self-employed or independent contractors um, in, in the true sense of the word. And they can have their own classes and create their own schedules and create their own billing systems and things like that. But then there are other fitness instructors who coach very specifically to a type of workout. Um, For example, Solid Core, I was trained, I do have my personal training certification, um, but to become a Solid Core coach, you don't actually need that. You have to go through their own training um, system, and which at the time cost money uh, out of my pocket. And... So you have to go through that training system. And then once you're qualified to coach those classes, you have to coach them on very expensive machines that you can't just buy off the market generally. And then, you know, you have like the way that you've been taught to instruct and um, your behavior for a lot of these gyms is like quite controlled. You know, you have to, you have to kind of speak in a certain way perhaps or move about the room in in a certain way because these gyms it's very you know part of part of the thing is like having a brand and they want that brand to look the same if it's a big box of course they want that brand to look the same across all of their studios which means that they have to control the way that their instructors talk how they look things like that to maintain that cohesive brand 
So those instructors, solid core instructors, for example, couldn't just like start up their own business um, in the midst of everything. And I think that brings me to the point about the industry as a whole and the way that people who are actually by law, by the legal definition, employees of these gyms are classified as independent contractors. And that has a lot of negative repercussions for coaches and instructors. Right. Because now, now the solid core coaches, you know, with the, the skills that you've learned as a solid core coach, mm-hmm. can you go and do your own thing? D- does it give you the tools to then go, you know, start your own fitness class on, on the outside of solid core, say if it shut down because of the global pandemic? Yeah. So some people have um, gone out and of course I, so before I, I got my job currently as a F45 coach, um, I wasn't coaching myself on the side, but some other people branched off and they started their own Pilates classes online, things of that nature, but not using any of the equipment that Solicore would use. Right. Um, and, you and, know, not and this- necessarily with the, certifications necessary um, to be able to coach those things. So there's not necessarily like a scientific premise for the type of Pilates um, that is being coached online by a lot of like Legree or Solid Core or whatever coaches. Um, Yeah, I was going to say there's no, is is there any like like a Solid Core certification? Does that carry weight outside of Solid Core? No, I mean, like, that's just the, you know, the short and long of it is no. Um, And you do learn things about the human body, of course, um, but it's so specific to what happens on that machine, right? It's a megaformer machine. It's a special patented machine, right? Isn't that like the the whole thing? It's a special, like they created the machine or something like that? Well, I, I mean... I won't get into it. You can Google um, the legal disputes between Sebastian Legree and Anne Malum, the solid core CEO and founder. And she started off using his machines and then made her own from there. So Uh it's a little disputed. The origin of the machine itself has some controversy, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically like what you learn to coach on that machine doesn't translate to Matt Pilates all the time. Or reformer Pilates. Or reformer Pilates. I mean, people who go through classical Pilates training, um, I mean, I've, I've not been through it myself, um, and I don't teach Pilates outside of Solicor, but that, um, that, that classical Pilates training, from what I understand, is hundreds of hours of time. Right. Um, so I, that's, you know, that's another thing about the industry, like it's so unregulated um, and it's unstandardized in a lot of ways. Yeah, big time. And there's there's a lot of BS out there. There is, there is. And, and you can't fault people for trying to turn something that they've invested a lot of time, energy, and even money, right? My solid core training was originally billed at $1,500. So if I pay $1,500 to get trained in coaching fitness, wow. that then that, yeah, that then the studios close and I can't coach that, you know, it's, it's a little inevitable that some people will like try to translate that into another income or, or revenue source. Um, so, so I get why it happens, but I also don't think it needs to be this way. No, um, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know from like from your perspective, I mean, with big league and and all the things that, you know, you're so familiar with this space. Do you see like a an avenue for more regulation or like more standards or a need for it within the industry? Well, this this happened a few years ago here in DC where uh, DC tried to pass a law requiring all fitness professionals to have a certification. And it was actually the CEO of CrossFit, the uh, good old, uh, what's his name, Uh, Greg Glassman, 
who yes. uh, who is who is in the headlines this summer for other reasons. He he was the one who actively campaigned against it, and his logic was, well, where do we set the 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 line at? Who who determines um, who who determines you know uh, who who what certifications are, are good and what certifications are bogus yeah, that's and, fair. and it makes sense um you know but at the same time though on the flip side you have people out there you know you know not just you know in terms of like studios but just personal trainers people who claim to be personal trainers you know training people that they probably have no business training and yeah. you know without the the education without the background the experience and you know it creates dangerous uh situations so i see the the need to establish some sort of certification, but then at the same time though, who establishes, establishes that certification? Like yeah. certainly the city council of DC shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, and there, there's, you know, plenty of governing bodies in the health and fitness world, you know, you look at the national strength and conditioning association. Um, they've for years in the strength and conditioning world were the gold standard. And, you know, I have my certified strength and conditioning specialist and that was the gold standard. And, you know, in recent years, they got caught uh, falsifying research to, you know, put Mm. down CrossFit. And, you know, and then, you know, CrossFit has, you know, got their share of issues too. So who's to say they're legit? And, and, you know, and then the the list kind of goes on and on. And and it's hard to find that, like, well, who's to say this is, you know, this is good. And I think, you know, I I see like a a brand like Salacor wanting to put, their coaches through training to align with their principles. You know, you're creating a brand and you want people to say the right words and teach the right moves and and do all these things. And I definitely see the need for that, but I guess I have a hard time understanding where the need to pay $1,500 comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's so that, I mean, you just said a lot of like really interesting and really important stuff about, you know, just the consequences of introducing some sort of standardization and and who would be in charge of that process. And I think that's something that hopefully down the road, we get to have another conversation in DC and also nationally about like, I, you know, it can be so disheartening to see those conversations kind of begin and end within a short period of time. And it's like, there's so much left to discuss so many other people who need to be a part of the conversation. Um, But in terms of, you know, just just to bring it back to kind of that, what you said about paying $1,500 to like get certified to teach one specific workout for one specific company, um, it has some interesting like legal implications. And I don't pretend to be a, a lawyer or a labor law specialist or anything. I mean, in the past uh, few months, I've learned a lot, which makes me feel like maybe you should backpedal ever so slightly to just kind of touch on like how I ended up acquiring the weird labor knowledge that I currently have about the fitness industry. But basically like that fee for training like you can't make an independent contractor pay that like that's not basically Uh if you're basically if you're controlling people's behavior um at the workplace if you're controlling how they look in their workplace you're controlling their schedule at the workplace they're an employee they're not an independent contractor and employees don't pay for their own training imagine showing up your first day in an office job and not only do you devote 60 hours to being trained for that specific job, which is how many hours I spent being trained to be a solid career coach, mm-hmm. you spend 60 hours, but then you pay $1,500 and you're not compensated for your time. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And it's not right. And solo career is not the only place doing this, right? right. Like core power are, does it too, right? Core Power does it. Bar Three, I think, has an expensive training. Mm-hmm. Um, Daily Method, I think. Like, there's just a bunch of there's a bunch of boutique fitness studios that make people pay to acquire the knowledge to do their specific. It's a genius genius business plan. <laughs> it really is. And why don't that, we just create our own gym and our own method? I know you and we I should, right we now. Do that. Let's, I let's, yeah. 
<laughs> you already have like the you know the infrastructure in place so i'll just jump go. on your bandwagon yeah, yeah i'll bring you on board absolutely perfect happy <laughs> to hear that we've got a plan from this um <laughs> but but yeah i think i think you know it goes into you know the whole idea of like you said like being an employee or like a w-2 employee uh versus an independent contractor and you know you're supposed to, as an independent contractor you're independent you're supposed to kind of have the freedom to make your own schedule do all these things and when you're, you know, held to, you know, these high standards of, of, you know, how to perform, what your schedules are, how to dress, all this stuff, you know, that, I think that's where it crosses the line, right? Into, yeah. um, you know, being a W2 employee. And I think, you know, I, you know, as a business owner, I, I'm no stranger to the differences between, you know, being a W2 employee and, a, and an independent contractor. But, um, you know, that's, I, I, I would imagine that's what, qualifies um you know as you as a you know an employee yeah yeah and the, and the thing is at the end of the day there are people who might want to be independent contractors right and have full control over their own schedule like that has its own perks and those people should totally you know live out that dream see that to fruition but if you are working for a gym and you're walking like an employee talking like an employee you need to be classified as an employee. You need to be eligible for benefits, for workers' compensation. There's so many opportunities in fitness to get injured on right. the job or to need surgery on your like vocal nodes, right? That's been a big thing in the industry is like people screaming over a yep. mic or whatnot and then needing some some sort of surgery. Right, right. Um, so, so so what are what are the the benefits uh, you know, for people to be a W-2 employee versus an independent contractor? What, what do they have? What does that give them more access to? Yeah, so it gives you more access to those benefits. If you're working more than right, 40 hours a week, uh, you could be eligible or your employee would have to make you eligible for health benefits, for PTO, perhaps for um, workers' comp. Uh, you would also not have to pay self-employment tax so that's a really big piece here. Yep. Um, and there's there's just so many protections, not just you know in terms of benefits like that, but also protections under the law that you're not entitled to as an independent contractor. So taking a couple steps back um, to like more of an origin an origin story that can then kind of give some good context for this conversation mm -hmm. after. SolidCore reopened. Um, this, is, this was where I was going. So, yeah, I figured. I'm so good at tangents. Um, so so we're, we're, we're moving on to the now after SolidCore closed, SolidCore is reopening in June Solid now. This is yes. June. Yes, and this we're, is June. We're phase two here in DC. SolidCore reopens and, and everything's great, right? Um, no, everything was <laughs> not great. And that was the problem. So I was given a bit of a heads up that SolidCore would be opening. Would I like my job back? could I sign a new uh, contract? So I get the new contract. They changed the pay scale um, in the new contract, which was just kind of slipped in, right? It was just mm -hmm. like, come back to your job and we're instituting this new method of paying you um, or this new way of calculating your compensation. Um, the, kind of, we, we didn't have any say in whatsoever. There was no, no you know, um, voice from coaches uh, in that decision process. And then I was coaching two classes on reopening day, which was June 22nd. My classes were full. Our regular capacity was 13 people and they capped it at 10 to abide by some sort of capacity restrictions that I still don't believe we're being um, fulfilled. They actually said that that they were allowed to count the square footage because you could only have five people per 1,000 square feet. Right, yeah. And I, when I asked how we were then fitting 10 people into the studio, they said, oh, we can count the bathrooms and the lobbies and the cupboards. <laughs> I don't think so. And I'm like, that's just like an in bad faith interpretation of the guidelines like i don't feel safe i'm pretty sure um, a bad lawyer could win that case 
Yeah. So, right. So we had 10 people. None of my clients were wearing masks. I was the only person wearing masks because at the time there was, was no the mask rule. mandate. Yeah. Yep. Those were the rules. And immediately I left. I was like, I feel so unsafe, but it's not just about how I felt like my clients are not safe. The people that my clients leave the room and then interact with are now not safe because we've been in this space. Um, and so I felt like something really needed to be done to just change the policies and procedures in this new like COVID era. Right. So I started talking to other coaches, asking them how they were feeling, what they needed to feel safer in their workplace. Um, and I wanted to get as many people's opinions as possible because you know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be the only person with feelings on this and people didn't really feel very comfortable. I don't think like raising those, um, raising those opinions right. to leadership. So I, I talked to my studio manager. She directed me to the operations person and, and I was saying like, we need masks. We need, you know, all these things. Um, eventually long story short, I ended up getting a phone call from the senior director of people who told me that in sending out messages asking if my other coaches were feeling safe, that I was making people uncomfortable hmm. and that I needed to stop, which if you're an employee is a, a violation of your rights under the National Labor Relations Act. You are perfectly within your rights to talk about work conditions with your colleagues and like strategize for like how to make them better. It's, it's called organizing. And I spelled that out to the senior director of people. I told her, you know, I'm allowed to do what I'm doing. Um, I'm trying to make this a better, safer workplace. Um, anyway, seems, five, seems uh, reasonable. It really, it really does. Or so I thought five hours later, um, after that call ended somewhat abruptly, I get her, she calls back um, and she fired me. So at that point, um, I feel lucky to be kind of plugged into a DC organizing scene. Um, I have a volunteer, uh, I'm working a volunteer capacity with this organization called Rising Organizers, which helps build grassroots organizers in the DC area um, and was immediately told to like file a charge uh, with the National Labor Relations Board for violating the National Labor Relations Act. And my case is still ongoing. I filed seven different charges against the company for violating seven different components of the act. Boy. So yeah, that's been, it's been a journey, but all of that to say mm -hmm. that if you're an independent contractor, technically, you're not protected by the National Labor Relations Act. So your boss could be subjecting you to unsafe work environments and you wouldn't be able to like harness the power of your colleagues um, to push back or your boss could change the way that you get compensated and then you don't have a voice, you don't have a say in that at all um huh. yeah though the good news is the reason the national labor relations board took my case is because they found me to be an employee huh. um, so so because of what we had said earlier in terms of mm -hmm. you know setting the schedule and all the training and, on, and the commitment you made mm -hmm. you were technically an, an, they found you to be an employee and so that's why they took your case yes Wow. And so, so now the National Labor Review Board takes your case mm -hmm. and then what happens? So basically what will happen is uh, if I win or if I'm successful, they find my charges to be of merit and that SolidCore has actually violated the various uh, components of the NLRA. They'll have to, they being SolidCore, will have to um, come up with a game plan to fix the issues that were highlighted basically. So um, on a personal level, they'll have to offer me my job back, a position of reinstatement for being wrongfully terminated. Would you take um, it? <sighs> That's a hard question. <laughs> um, I mean, 
for me personally, it ended up being like a very, it ended up being a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also love the community and I want to continue to try to take care of my fellow coaches and like build that community up so we can take care of each other. Um, And that is probably best done as a coach uh, and as an employee. So we'll see. We'll gotcha. see what happens. It's too right. soon to call at the moment. But Fair enough. Fair enough. So now, so, so the goal, though, is to successfully unionize Salicor employees, correct? Yeah, that is the goal. Originally, we weren't sure if a formal union was necessary. Uh, we thought perhaps we could build out this kind of coalition and be voluntarily recognized by Salicor leadership, given a seat at the table, um, but it turns out that that is not a viable option at the moment. Solicor leadership has refused to recognize us um, individually. Some of the, the leaders have recognized us, but we have yet to be invited to like a formal meeting um, to discuss the issues that we've been raising. Right. So right. the great thing, I mean, again, your right to unionize is protected by the National Labor Relations Act, which as people who are technically employees, we, we can do, we could unionize. Um, and the thing about, I mean, the thing about forming a union is ultimately it's just about giving coaches a voice in how the company works. Um, yeah. And br- the people bringing in the money at the end of the day, the company literally could not run if there weren't coaches. Um, and it, so it's only fair that, people be able to have more of a say um and that involves not being taken advantage of and you know having a safe place to work well i I think i think yeah i mean especially i think you know having a safe place to work especially nowadays um you know really you know should be something that should be taken into account and i think overall like happy employees you know are really the the secret to you know a successful company you know, um, there's there's a, a book out there called The Servant CEO. And, and the idea is that, you know, we're not just, um, you know, we're, you know, as a CEO, you're not just the, the, everyone's not just looking up to you. you you're, how can I serve my employees? And ultimately, that's going to, you know, create that community and that commitment to that, you know, to ultimately provide a more successful, you know, company brand down the road. And so I think, you know, looking at things from that way, it's like, you know, for me, from my mindset, it seems like that should be, you know, the way things should go. I love that. And I've, I've never heard of that book, but the concept is awesome. And that is the goal ultimately of a solid, you know, a solid core union would be to work with leadership and find out like, you know, there are things that we as coaches and employees would need but how can that serve the overall purpose and the overall community and make everything better um, for those you know, participating in the various systems that right. exist there? So something that's been really cool in all of this is I started talking to solid core coaches and, and honestly, I've never felt more a part of the community, strangely enough, um, <laughs> than, than I have in all of the mess, than, than the calm before. Right. Uh, But obviously these issues are like not solid core specific. These issues are throughout the industry. Um, And so many coaches and instructors work at multiple uh, gyms and for multiple employers. So it kind of makes sense that there would be a union across the sector. Um, Right. You see that with like janitors, for example, construction workers, people who, um, you know, might be hired for one particular construction job and then that job finishes and then they, you know, bounce around there employed by somebody else. There's like a really famous um, example of sectoral bargaining in Maine of uh, people who, there's a specific word for them that I can't remember, people who catch lobsters. Lobstermen? Yeah, sure. They have, this doesn't sound very gender inclusive, but sure. Um, but they have yeah, a Lobstermen and women? Yeah. So I don't know. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 
it would make was, sense. I was going to say, because the, the idea of unionizing in the fitness industry is still kind of a novel thing. There, there, it doesn't, there's not a lot out there. Cause I, I mean, I was trying to do some research before this, but it seemed like there, there's not really any kind of, I mean, the one thing I saw was the national health and fitness Alliance, um, yeah. which, which is, I guess, you know, something that was just created. <laughs> um, and, and is that kind of like what you were talking about? Yeah, definitely. So it would make, I mean, yeah, it's super novel for this particular industry. And again, like a, another great example is actors, like the actors guild, things like that. Like you should be able to move around from employer to employer, but still have some of these protections and still be able to advocate for yourself. Um, and in that we can address a lot of industry-wide issues um, that are also of importance to instructors. Um, safety, right? Like how we talked about it being unstandardized in terms of like what you can coach in your certifications. Right. Um, that's kind of a safety issue. Uh, lack of benefits, like the wage theft that comes from misclassifying people. And then all the like ableism in the industry right now now with um with with that though now are you saying that you think there should be like one overarching like labor union with within the fitness industry or do you think like there should be like a an orange theory union there should be a core power a solid court or do you think there should just be one overarching thing i think it's so interesting because i really didn't know all that much about labor unions before I got involved in all of this. So there's been an, an exponential learning curve for me. And it seems as though from the other conversations that have been had with union organizers that a union across the industry, it would definitely be needed. And within that union, there could be subsets of people who work for specific employers and right. they can form their own bargaining units. Um, but in terms of really making a difference to the industry as a whole, probably need to bring everybody, you know, give everybody a place where they can go. And especially if they're floating from one employer to the next, um, it would be nice to have that kind of consistent voice and that consistent community there's right. so much that yeah needs to be needs to be worked out but it's kind of important for i think the industry to grow up a little bit is some is a term that someone else has used i like, uh, that. I like that right like mm -hmm. it's not a new industry anymore like why do we not talk about labor issues in it's, group it's, fitness. it's not a new industry and there's a lot of you know as i said before there's a lot of bs in in, in the industry as well and you know i think there you know there, there's room for for everyone but at the same time though like there is no room for for bullshit like if mm -hmm. if you know you're practicing pseudoscience harmful narratives things like that you know there's no there's no room for you but like there should be you know room for you know if you want to have a fitness class where you're jumping up and down on a trampoline God bless you. You know, if, if, you know, if you want to do CrossFit, God bless you. But like, ultimately, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like there, there should be, you know, kind of, you know, a little bit of growing up in the fitness industry that needs to happen. And, and that involves, you know, having some protection for employees. I mean, as a you know, physical therapist, I'm a part of the APTA. And while that's not like a labor union, it's still a professional membership, you know, professional group that I'm mm -hmm. a part of that, you know, is ultimately advocating for the benefits of, you know, physical therapists. Is there more they could do? Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, is there a lot, yeah, a lot to be desired there? Yes. Are they still doing good things for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, is it important for me to keep paying my dues and be a part of it? Definitely. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, things there that like, you know, like, could we benefit from, you know, physical therapists, you know, have been, you know, the, the, the burnout has been a major thing that's happened in, in physical therapy over the last several years with, you know, skyrocketing grad school costs, student debt. And then you come out of school and you're, you know, barely making enough to pay your rent and pay your loans. Um, you know, and then insurance companies reimburse at such a low rate that, you know, 
companies force, you know, new grads to see five people an hour and, you know, they end up seeing 30, 40 people a day and, and, you know, people get burned out. And so I see those protections that need to probably come into the physical therapy world because I don't think uh, we get those as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I honestly had not even heard those perspectives for from- that's, that's why I went and, and opened big league is because you know, that's, that's just not a sustainable treatment model either for me or for my patients. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I said, I don't work for, um, I I don't work for insurance companies. I want to work for my patients. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that, you know, um, is kind of the, the model that's been perpetuated. And, you know, I know like the APTA is fighting for higher reimbursements for a physical therapist, but you know, is that going to happen? Who knows? Um, and so I was like, I'm going to go this way and I'm going to treat, you know, cash based people use their out of network benefits, um, and, you know, creates a more sustainable treatment model for myself, uh, as well as my employees, as well as, you know, the patients that we treat, you know, they get better results. So, um, ultimately everybody wins, but it's, you know, stinks that like, you know, you have to do it that way versus like the, the norm, I guess. Totally. And, and it should be, I mean, we see this in the gig economy and like, you know, Uber and Lyft have been super controversial and I think are like the pinnacle of some of these gig economy issues. Of yeah. like, you shouldn't have to see five patients an hour or coach for five different gyms a week in order to piece together a livable wage and then have to pay for, you know, out of pocket health insurance and like not have any days off. If you take a day off, you're losing money. Right. And like, especially during COVID, like if you have to quarantine things like that, like fitness instructors, fitness instructors, friends of mine, you know, they've been like, I was maybe exposed and now I have to quarantine for a week and that's devastating. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, why, I love that so many people have been creative and worked outside of the system so that they can keep doing this thing that they love and helping clients in these really meaningful ways. But like, we shouldn't have to work outside of the system. We should just be able to build a better system. Right. And like, the good news is that the number of fitness instructors outweighs the number of corporate CEOs who (laughs) are benefiting from not classifying employees as, you know, as employees and paying them accordingly. Um, People who, I mean, you get paid per class, right? So say you make $20 for coaching a 45 minute class, but then you have to show up 20 minutes early. You had to program your class. You had to create a playlist. You have to clean up after your class. It's like you might be making under minimum wage technically. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think back to when I was, I was working, I worked in the New York Yankees organization as a strength conditioning coach mm. when I was younger and you know, we were paid uh, what, you know, if you broke it down at, by the hourly rate, I was, we were paid minimum below minimum wage. Um, you know, and, and there's, you know, whole sorts of issues going on in minor league baseball right now with regards to unionizing and, and, you know, getting paid a fair wage and all that stuff, which is really interesting stuff. Um, my question for you though, is on, on the flip, flip side of this, along with, you know, unionizing and, and advocating for better wages, better, you know, better working conditions, there's obviously an added cost to all that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's with equipment, whether it's with salaries, you look into the tax side of things. Um, you know, how do, how do you combat those issues? So the added cost from the instructor or coach perspective or from like, if you're a business owner perspective, from the, from the business side of things, Mm. from the business perspective. I mean, at the end of the day, the business leaders and the CEOs and whoever it is, who's like in charge of financing everything, like I don't, I hate to make this political, but let's take, for example, Donald Trump, someone Uh, who is like allegedly one of the best businessmen of all time, but has accumulated what little wealth he actually has off the backs of like exploiting people, taking advantage of them, evading taxes, things like that. Like you're actually not, if that's what you need to do to accumulate personal wealth, like you're not a great business leader. 
So I have every faith that those people who are truly business savvy, they have their various investors that they can turn to, they have this, um, you know, they have knowledge of like how to ethically and efficiently run a business. They can, they can do it. Like people do it. Um, I'm sure there will be added costs. Does that mean that maybe some of the costs of classes go up a little bit? That's definitely a possibility. Right. But at the end of the day, as somebody who's like on the organizing side of things, I have to remember that like, I'm not a business person. I'm not an entrepreneur. I like have very little knowledge of corporate finance. I took one class, uh, one class I took, in college. I took zero, so it's okay. And I run oh. a business and I run a business. So it's oh, fine. incredible. Well, then that makes me feel like I wasted my time even more than I originally thought I did while taking that class. There but you go. Um, at the, yeah. At the end of the day, it's like taking good. care of people is what like I would like to do and what I want to call other people into doing. Right. And people who are in charge of the money, they can, they can figure that out. It can be done, but you shouldn't have to exploit people to be able to run a business. You right. Know? Cause I, I think, cause I, I see it like with like, you know, the, like the big global dreams, corporate chains, like, you know, there's definitely ways to figure it out. You know, I think yeah. you know, the concern is like the smaller mom and pop, you know, gyms, mm-hmm. the ones that are, you know, the small boutique fitness, you know, uh, operations with, with one gym is, you know, will they be able to, you know, pay their employees a livable wage and, and, or, you know, what, you know, the union has deemed a livable wage, um, as, and all the other costs that may be associated with. I think that's, you know, I guess my concern. Yeah. There'll definitely be, I think a different approach between big box and small boutique studios. Um, and of course, like, because as coaches, we love that what we do and we love coaching I'm sure that there will be ways that we can kind of collaboratively come up with these creative solutions. But as it stands right now, I mean, obviously different business owners operate differently, but the main thing is like getting a seat at the table so that those collaborative conversations can happen or else it's just coaches and instructors answering to decisions that are being made that, drastically impact their lives, their schedules, their income, um, and without, you know, having any say whatsoever. So, you know, it's such a hard time for the industry right now. You obviously know this, um, but I think that makes it a better time more than ever to just kind of like reevaluate how things have been working or not working to kind of create a radically different industry that's more sustainable and equitable um you know we didn't do you, even touch do on you the- see a way do you see a way to get a seat at the table without unionizing or is at this point now unionizing is the only way to go at first i think i was hopeful um that there would be ways without unionizing but now it seems to me, at least in my experiences with SolidCore, um, that a union is necessary. And also in the more that I've learned about unions, the more I've worked with union organizers in this process, the more I've realized that you, all unions are, they just allow people to achieve things that they can't do alone. It totally harnesses the power of people. It's that like cliche strength in numbers. Um, it just is going to be so beneficial to have a collective of people where we can deal with COVID safety issues and then not have to scramble the next time something happens. Like we already have our union where we can support each other no matter what happens. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every crisis, every you know um, issue where maybe a company is behaving in a way that is racist or fat phobic or whatever like it's just this sustained group that's always pushing for better standards in the industry that will benefit ultimately clients too 
I think that's, I think that's awesome. And I'll be honest with you, I think we could probably talk about this for another like three oh hours. God. Yes. It's um, so true. I got a so few much. final questions here for yes. you. Yes. Um, what's the, what's the last book you read? Ooh, the last book I read is, oh, that's such a good question. I've actually been reading a ton and I could even pull up my Goodreads where I track all of my books that I read like a nerd because I know that everybody, uh, I forget. Ooh, I read The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Okay. Which was really good. I'm reading a collection of her essays right now called The Source of Self-Regard, which is a little harder to get through. So I've been putting it down and picking it back up. But cool. What's the last TV show you watched? Last TV show I watched was, I think I watched a show, I wanted to switch my brain completely off, and I watched a show called The Grand Design on Netflix, and oh, it's where I've people build their dream homes. You've seen it? I haven't watched it, but I've seen it on my Netflix queue. Yeah, I wanted to turn my brain off and imagine building my own dream home. With, there you go. Yeah, so. Megan, Megan likes to watch a lot of those design shows also, so. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> what's what's the best thing that's happened to you in the past seven days in the past seven days best thing that's happened to me um ooh, you're asking at a strange time aren't you it is a weird day but it is a weird day it's november november 4th november 4th um best thing that's happened it shouldn't be this hard it's not um I've seen some friends and spent some really good time with my sister and just try to focus on all the meaningful relationships in my life that make even hard times good. I don't know. It's a there you go. Corny that answer, was good. But that's that what was I got. good. I like it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Emily, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Ooh, they can find me on Instagram, which has recently become my default social media. Um, and I don't know if you want me to say my handle. Do you? Yes, please. Okay. Please. It's uh, emily.collinson. And also, people should feel free to check out solidcoreunited.com, um, where they can reach out there about SolidCore or union-related things and also learn more about what we're working on, what we want to work on, things like that. Excellent. Excellent. And you're teaching at the F45 where? In Columbia Heights. Columbia yeah, Heights. Northwest. That's the new one that just opened up. Yeah, it just opened pretty recently. Awesome. Yeah, Megan and I will definitely have to get up there and take Please one of your do. classes soon. I would love to have you guys. That would be so much fun. Yeah. Emily, thanks again for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely be talking soon. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Move the District today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Big League Performance and Rehab and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free, head over to BigLeaguePerformanceAndRehab.com to learn more. Thanks, and until next time, keep moving, DC.